Good afternoon, and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Today, we have a special guest, County Council Chairman, Dr. Calvin Ball, who is a candidate for the Howard County Executive on November 6, 2018. <laughs> yes, an early vote starts October 25th. Very well. <laughs> As always, the views that are expressed on this show are not the views of Howard County Community College, and any legal information that is uh, disgorged on this show is not intended to apply to individual legal situations. We always recommend on Everyday Law, if you have a legal problem, seek out a lawyer with some level of expertise in that particular area and consult them rather than what we say today. Dr. Ball, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Um, you have quite a remarkable career for what is, by my standards, a young man. Um, you have been the county council chairman since... So we rotate every year. Okay. And right now I'm the current vice chairman. I understand. And I've served as chairman a few times. And uh, back in 2006, I actually was elected the youngest person to be chairman ever in Howard County history. That is quite remarkable. <laughs> and how you. do you find your work on the Howard County Council? Oh, it's quite rewarding. It's challenging yet rewarding. Very nice. And what moved you to run for county executive? So I wanted to really expand my service to our community. I saw that there were many issues going on and things that I thought that I could offer a, a good solution to. You know, when people are looking at our education system, when they're looking at uh, concerns about the environment and struggling, I think that I can offer and I can bring people together. I'm also a certified mediator and, you know, just wanted to do my part and do some good. You have uh, a doctorate in education, so I suspect that you do have some insights into education that are not readily available to a lot of politicians. <laughs> I'd like to think that. Was there any particular area that you devoted your energy to when you were studying for your doctorate? So I focused on higher education and frankly with a focus on community colleges because I really believe that community colleges are some of the most democratizing entities and really offer an opportunity for everyone no matter what their station in life. I was intrigued the other day that the president came out after uh, the Democratic candidate for governor, Ben Jealous, because he proposed providing uh, free community college education to Marylanders. I don't see how that would be a bad thing. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate with the negative rhetoric that we see from uh, President Trump so frequent. It's frankly another reason why I try to work so hard. Here in Howard County, oftentimes we on the local level may be the last line of defense for some of our citizens who feel attacked or very concerned about the policies of the Trump administration. So we did have Alan Kittleman on, who I have known as a lawyer long ago. And uh, one of the things that has struck me insofar as I have knowledge about the campaign is that you two have both been very civil. And I think that that's an admirable thing to both of you. And, and I Thank appreciate you. that. I wish that would uh, drip upward, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I think that people want public servants who share their values. And when it gets to be too negative or too personal, that that not only isn't good for our democracy, but it's not good for our community. You know, Alan and I have known each other for years, and although he's my Republican opponent right now, and I happen to be the Democrat who's running for county executive, that doesn't mean that we can't work together. That doesn't mean that we can't be civil and really focus on the issues that will make people's lives better. 
I presume that you two have worked together on a great many things across the last 12. Well, he hasn't been there 12 years as county executive, but he was on the council beforehand, correct? Yes. He served on the council and the zoning board for six years and then went to the state senate where he rose to be um, a Republican leader. And then uh, he's been on the county, uh, county executive uh, for the last four years. Well, let's get down to some of the issues that face Howard County. Uh, one of the things that has struck me, I've lived here for almost 20 years, is that you have this wonderfully prosperous county, but it is not without all of the problems that beset every community in the United States. And one particular one that I know concerns you and concerned Mr. Kittleman was the opioid crisis. Right. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your views on how to fix or correct or arrest the problem and how to help the people who have gotten into the criminal justice system, for example, mm-hmm. you know, owing to addiction. Yes. I think, unfortunately, we're seeing um, a growing issue as, as it comes to addiction and even homelessness. And frankly, in Howard County, not only is it growing, but it's particularly difficult because of our affluence. When you're in a jurisdiction where there's less affluence, there's almost an understanding that there are going to be some of these challenges. So when people struggle, they often have some place to go. Sure. Whereas in Howard County, because we're such high achievers and we do so well, that can be even more isolating for people who are struggling. And it actually exacerbates the stigma And it makes it so that those who are struggling or those of us who love or care for those who are struggling don't reach out for help, uh, don't seek out the educational resources that are needed. And frankly, sometimes and, and often too many times it's too late. Do you have concrete suggestions with respect to dealing with the opioid crisis in Howard County? So first and foremost, I think that we need to calculate the data accurately. Okay. For example, when we look at the data right now, uh, the, the county doesn't always calculate people who live in Howard County but happen to, God forbid, pass away in another jurisdiction. Okay. So if someone lived in Howard County but they want to go get their drugs in Baltimore City or Florida or someplace like that, Howard County counts that as a Baltimore City or Florida or Harford County as opposed to a Howard County resident. Okay. So we need to really understand how big and far-reaching this problem is. We also need to have treatment centers here that are accessible and available and affordable. Uh, Sometimes because of our affluence, there are very expensive places to go, but they're not necessarily the best. If you look at, say, in Baltimore City, the Helping Up Mission, where you see uh, in-house treatment centers for people with need and who are experiencing homelessness, they have a, a pretty good success rate. And I think implementing programs like that in appropriate places here in Howard County could be much more helpful. And, you know, just continuing to talk about it because that gets rid of the stigma. The more we can help educate our middle and high school and community college students, the more we can hopefully get people on the right track before they go too far askew and give them the help that they need. It has been addressed often, not just in Howard County, but elsewhere as a criminal justice problem. And I can understand it if it produces violent crimes and that sort of thing, but I also feel like there are people who have addiction issues that sort of transcend any criminal description or any criminal punishment. How do you come down on that issue? I do not see it at all as a criminal justice issue. I see it as an illness issue. I see it as a people issue where 
if we exercise our humanity, we can help more people. And I think, frankly, looking at it as a criminal justice issue is one of the challenges and reasons why we have issues and problems, because people don't want to go to jail and they don't want their son or daughter or loved one to go to jail, so they'll hide it instead of seeking the help that is so much needed. So I guess the question is, how much help is there in Howard County presently? How much would it cost to improve the system? And how long do you think that kind of thing would take? Um, insufficient help. Okay. Uh, I think not only do we, again, need uh, those treatment centers that are affordable, uh, but we need to make sure that those there's more of a partnership when it comes to our school system and our community college so that the education and the information gets out there. Um, there are bits and pieces of information, whether it's drug lock boxes or how to appropriately dispose of your prescription drugs so that um, others don't get into it. But it needs to be more widespread and it needs to go deeper to younger people. So let's move on a little bit to something that's innately what you were talking about, and that is the educational system here in Howard County, rightfully regarded as one of the best in the United States, but I suspect that there are areas for improvement. Can you describe areas that you think need to be improved, how it would be undertaken, and that sort of thing? Howard County is a very good school system uh, overall, but it needs to be a a good school system for all. And when you look at the data and you disaggregate them, what you see is that kids on free and reduced meal, kids with uh, special needs, kids who have English as their second language are starting to sometimes not have the resources that they need. There is massive school overcrowding. There have been in recent years two class size increases. And if the county council hadn't added more money to the county executive's proposed budget, there would have been a third class size increase this year. Um, There is a $50 million budget deficit in the school system and a half a billion dollars of deferred maintenance. So we are on the verge of not being what we can be for our kids, for our educators, and for our families. Where does the money come from? So there was a time when uh, the school system was a larger percentage of the budget. Okay. And that is, uh, it's, it's, it's a smaller percentage. So I think, one, it's about priorities and making sure that we do prioritize education uh, in our budget because our budgets are examples and messages to our community about our priorities. Second, I think growing more private sector jobs that actually pay a living wage because the more money you put in people's pockets, the more revenue it generates for everybody. Um, And then finally, making sure that uh, we help to grow small businesses and local businesses because, again, if you have a smaller local business or someone who's an entrepreneur and right now they're struggling, they're they're, uh, working two and three jobs to make ends meet, but they have that great idea. They're the next Google or Amazon and government invests in them, then that investment will pay off in dividends and that will help generate even more revenue for our county. So is the idea, I think, to encourage employers to so have more jobs and more businesses that in theory can be part of the tax base? 
Yes, and and frankly, making sure that we use our current resources efficiently and effectively. Um, for example, making sure that there's um, continuous audits when it comes to how to use energy. You know, when you have so many schools and so many school buildings, sometimes just making sure that all of them have the right light bulbs or all of them turn off lights when appropriate that can save a lot of money. Some of that deferred maintenance isn't just about building new schools, but making sure that our schools are maintained properly. And sometimes just maintaining a school properly, an investment of a half a million or a million dollars might save two or three or four on the back end. Makes a lot of sense. It seems to me that another issue in the educational system is the security of our kids at their schools. Fortunately, we haven't had, at least to my knowledge, any sort of mass shooting here in Howard County. Do you have any suggestions or thoughts about how to better secure our schools? So, yes. Um, all of our children, educators, and families should feel safe in every one of our schools. And we shouldn't have buildings where our safety and security is compromised. However, we also shouldn't be investing all of our resources in creating environments where people feel like it's a prison. There are other ways to make an educational environment safer. For example, looking at restorative practices, making sure that... What is a restorative practice? Restorative practices are when there is certain conflict and when there are issues that are escalating, actually working within not only the people who are directly involved, but the community to address the issue and help a healing process. So like you're saying, there's a conflict between students that's identifiable by the administrators and not letting it escalate, but actually having people on campus to deal with it? Exactly. And having those uh, restorative circles and having the discussions, because oftentimes what you see around communities, unfortunately, is there are people internal to the community who uh, make it less safe. And oftentimes it's because of certain issues that could have been addressed. Uh, making sure that we have more mental health professionals in our schools, I think that is a good investment. More lunch aids, more bus aids. Making sure that we really have the people in place to, before something gets to escalating where it is violent or unsafe, we can address it and make our community um, a real community. I presume you're not a fan of giving teachers guns. I am opposed to that, okay. and I've always been opposed to it. As have I. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that early on there were, you know, many uh, who thought that that would be a good idea to be considered. I know a lot of teachers here in the county, and in particular – uh, my law partner has a wife who is a head of a kindergarten group here in the county at a school that has a lot of kids who are disadvantaged. And the ratio of teachers to students there creates an even greater burden than where you have kids who are all high achievers and that sort of thing. And, and I guess I feel like some tax increase almost seems inevitable here in the county to fund the schools that are disadvantaged to fund, you know, more bus aids, more teacher aids, more people involved in the mental health community. Um, is that something that you see down the road? So I'm glad you, you brought that up because when we talk about class size increases, yes, I am concerned about the number of students 
to educator ratios. But it's also the mix of students and the students who have those needs, who have IEPs. It's not fair to the student or the educator to have massive classes and not have the resources. And I think, you know, there needs to be a multi-pronged approach, uh, appropriate redistricting uh, that doesn't break communities apart, but really makes it so that we're using our actual school capacity. We have some schools that are uh, working toward being 120, 130% capacity and some that are at 80. So I think that that needs to be evaluated. I think looking at educator uh, recruitment and retention, making sure that our paraeducators are valued, that our teachers who are in the classroom are valued, and so that we don't have to spend more money going out and recruiting a new teacher. We can just retain the educators that we have. And, you know, I think when you have some of those cost savings that I talked about on the front end, when you have the prioritization of the budget, when you retain educators, which is less expensive than recruiting educators, you start to see a lot more money flowing in uh, to education. Makes a lot of sense. So let's talk a little bit about economic development in Howard County. I would presume that that is a priority for you both on the council and as prospect of Howard County executive. It is a very big priority. And according to the Wikipedia this morning, it looked like Howard County is the second wealthiest county in the United States, or at least on per capita income. And I'm wondering what could be done to not only foster additional economic development, but also to see sort of the people on the low end of things get a little bit more of the pie. So just in 2017, Howard County had one of the lowest wage growth rates of the state and one of the lowest rates of uh, improving the joblessness. So while we are doing well, we're starting to slip behind. And I think we need to ensure that we don't stagnate. It's very easy when you are a great uh, county to stop aspiring to stop thinking about those who are coming into the job market, those who are employed but underemployed, those who are in the private sector but not making a living wage, and, and like I talked about before, those entrepreneurs who are not really tapping into their full potential. So I think making sure that we have uh, incubators that are effective to help our entrepreneurs, um, small micro loans to help uh, businesses grow. Now, would these be loans from the county itself, or what? What they could be loans from the county. They could be loans from our economic development authority. We used to have a nonprofit that would give loans, the Jim Rouse Entrepreneurial Fund. There are ways to leverage dollars so that it is an investment and they come back to the county. Looking at our procurement practices in the county, for example, if we have taxpayer dollars that are used to buy goods and services, why aren't we using more of those to go to local small businesses? Because if our tax dollars are going to the business in California or New York or Philadelphia, then that's not really going to be more revenue in Howard County's coffers. Looking forward with respect to trying to help people on the lower end of the curve, 
What do you think can be done? I understand that you know you can have procurement advantages and keeping jobs in Howard County and that sort of thing. But I served on a grand jury, I guess, last year. And I think I said to you before the show that I heard about a lot of parts of Howard County that I had never really heard about. And I came to understand that there's a lot of disadvantaged people, notwithstanding the wealth here. And I'm wondering what you would have in store for those people to assist them in getting jobs and getting assistance and getting their families back on their feet. So first of all, first and foremost, just recognition that there are a lot of people with need in Howard County. I truly, County. I mean, I knew there had to be, but I hadn't been exposed to it in my life right. as a lawyer. And, and I felt bad. And I, you know, like to think I'm a little more enlightened on it. But I do think, and, and I, Alan Kittleman talked about this too, that mm-hmm. I, there's something's got to be done here yeah. to, to lift everybody up. Exactly. And that's frankly what we have to do. I think, again, in Howard County, because many of us are doing so well, it gets very lonely when you're not. And I think being able to have the resources that you need, just how to create a resume, how to work on a business plan, how to get your credit straight. These are the kinds of things that many people, because of the embarrassment, they don't seek out those resources. And then the more that we can grow business here in Howard County, If we have a leader, a county executive who goes out and gets new business here, and not just business that moves from one part of the county to the other, from one landlord in one uh, Columbia to another part of Columbia, but really new business to the county and have jobs that pay a living wage, that creates more opportunity for people who who need it. How do you feel about a uh, heightened minimum wage, $15 an hour? So I know that there's been a lot of conversation at the state level, and frankly, I think that that's where the conversation should be focused. When you have a business that has maybe a bunch of stores in Howard County, Montgomery, Prince George's, Baltimore, and they have different wages for each county for a uh, statewide, national, international business to have to deal with in one state three, four, five, six different minimum wages is sometimes too burdensome. So I think that that's something that um, would frankly put Howard County at a competitive disadvantage. And so looking at that conversation at the state level, I think is where it's most appropriate. In an effort to attract new businesses, uh, we had the the Maryland Tech Council uh, head on here not too long ago, Tammy Howie, and she was talking quite a bit about uh, the Amazon 2 thing. And I noticed that Howard County did not was not one of the final 20. I don't know if they even applied. Was there any thought of trying to get Amazon 2 here? I mean, we got great schools and equally situated between Baltimore and Washington. So I, I also thought that that was something we should consider. Um, I don't think the county was well prepared to go after it. And when I did finally uh, encourage that we at least look at it, the county did go after it and was not considered. And, And I think because when a company like an Amazon looks at a jurisdiction, they look at numerous things, education, but also transportation. And Howard County has one of the worst transportation systems in the region. So it's hard for employees and um, commuters and families to get back and forth from work to school to what have you. Um, And so that's probably a a huge issue. We need a really much better uh, transportation system and a plan. We need a county executive who's going to bring together not only local but state 
federal and private sector dollars for a long-term plan to look at how to reduce the headways on buses, how to make sure that the bus routes are more efficient, how to look at issues like the bus rapid transit. You know, how do we make sure that we can connect people throughout Howard County and into the Baltimore, uh, Washington corridor? I mean, that's an issue for me sometimes that I don't always want to drive everywhere. And the idea of taking public transit to pretty much get anywhere other than maybe taking a bus to Columbia or Fulton is kind of daunting. Right. And and a company like an Amazon or many of these companies uh, nationwide and global, they look at things like that and they look at our bike routes. You know, we had one budget year where I recommended um, uh, my Republican opponent look at investing three to five million dollars on um, bikes and bus and a multimodal transportation system. That year, he put in six hundred thousand approximately. That same year, Montgomery County put in about twenty million. So, how can we stay competitive? And that's where Amazon is actually looking. How oh, can yeah. we stay competitive if we're not going to invest in the things that matter? That's a good question. It's a tricky business in Howard County because it's sort of this bucolic place a little bit away from things, right. which is part of its appeal. On the other hand, it should be connected in some meaningful way with Washington and Baltimore. Exactly. I don't know whether that's light rail or something, because I'm a fan of rapid transit buses. But you try driving 29, unless they add lanes in the middle or something, I, I don't know that I think that's going to be a long-term solution either. I think there needs to be a comprehensive plan. I mean, that's frankly one of the things that um, – uh, my Republican opponent and I share, we've talked about BRT. However, when I wanted to move it forward, all that I've seen is press releases uh, from his side about the name. You know, what do we call BRT? Which is cute, but I think people really need a real transportation plan. Maybe it includes BRT, maybe it doesn't, that we can all say, all right, here's how we get to where we need to go to, and here's the investment that it'll take. Uh, one thing near and dear to my heart is the prospect of new courthouse that uh, Ellicott City's a little bit of a mess these days, and it's sadly so. And I'll touch on Ellicott City overall. Do you have any views on the prospect of new courthouse? So I think definitely we needed to address um, the current courthouse. It's old and it's there's some safety concerns and, and frankly, I think some health concerns. I was not supportive of the current plan, which over the course of 30 years would be about 400 to 450 million dollars, because as we talked about before, if we have a if we have that almost in our deferred maintenance for our school system, and that is one of the reasons why people invest in Howard County. Until we get that under control, do we really need to have? that in a courthouse complex. So I would have liked a little bit more conversation about how we um, address the needs of a courthouse, you know, expand, you know, the, I think it's currently about 70,000 square feet, but do we need to go to almost 250,000 square feet? I'm not sure. And so I would have liked to us, for us to have a more measured, thoughtful approach that would have uh, spread those taxpayer dollars a little bit more efficiently with our priorities. So that leads to what do we do about Ellicott City? What, do you have any views? I, I know restaurateurs and merchants and people who live there, and nobody's happy with any right. of the suggested things. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think, no, I think very few people are happy in part because of how poorly things are being communicated. 
Um, what I would like us to see, because some of it is process and some of it is product, to look at the various studies, evaluate the recommendations, and then talk about the different options and what we get for those options. If there's option one that costs taxpayers $100 million and it addresses all the flooding and keeps people safe, that's something we need to consider. If there's option two, costs taxpayers $50 million, but there's still minimal flooding and maybe it keeps four or five feet of water uh going along Main Street that still may or may not be that safe, that's something we need to have a conversation about. And then once we look at the recommendations, we look at the studies, we look at the data, we evaluate the options and have a real community conversation, then I think we move forward and people understand, one, they've been heard, and two, what we're actually getting for the taxpayer dollars. A lot of times when I go around, just like what you just did, people ask me, what are we going to do about Ellicott City? And two or three weeks ago, there was a press conference where the county executive uh, unveiled a plan, and most people are still digesting it, don't understand it, don't understand what the real impacts are, don't understand how much it's really going to cost over time and what it's really going to do. And I think we need to really talk about that so people understand and feel comfortable. Two final questions. One, do you think there will be a blue wave in November that is being talked about in the press? And the other one is, why should a voter vote for you instead of Alan Kittleman, who seems like a relatively progressive Republican? So I wouldn't necessarily say that um, my Republican opponent is progressive. Okay. Um, I think especially in a time when we have people like Donald Trump, when we have great need that gives us an opportunity to show whether or not we're progressive. And when you're silent in the face of things that are unacceptable and appalling, it's hard to say that you're that progressive. However, he is a nice guy, and I think that people need to look at what are our priorities, what are our values, and which ones align. And if people are comfortable and think that we are doing the best that we can in Howard County and we can't do any better, I think they should go with the status quo. Okay. If they think that they can do better, then I think that that will stoke the blue wave. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ball. I sincerely appreciate you having, having you on, and it will be an interesting election cycle in November. Good luck to you. Thank you very much. This has been Everyday Law. Bob Clark, your host. Farewell.